Welcome to TSF Life, a podcast ministry of the Shepherd's Fellowship Church in Marion, Ohio. TSF Life is designed to bring you biblical teaching in a relational way that's easy to apply to your life. Let's join Pastor Tom Hypes as we dive into today's teaching. We're going to dive right back in. Uh, so if you want to, you can go ahead and start turning to Matthew chapter 5. We've been considering, uh, continuing a look in the life of Christ, and we've gotten ourselves up to the Sermon of the Mount and going through those. So again, uh, if you got your Bibles, great. If not, there are Bibles in the chairs around you underneath uh, in baskets that you can use. Also, there's a version app that you can use. So if you want to get in that general ballpark, I'll do just a little bit of recap. But before I do, I want to go ahead and start us out with some prayer. Heavenly Father, we recognize and submit ourselves to your authority in this moment. We recognize and submit ourselves to the authority of your word. Not my commentary, but your word. And Father, so I pray that your spirit moves in this place the way your spirit wants to move. And nothing else gets in the way. I pray, Father, that there's any evil principality that has any kind of motive or any kind of deposit or any kind of attack in mind or in even in motion, Father, that in the name of Jesus Christ we rebuke that and it is finished, finished. That our Lord has his way and that we want to lean into you today. And so, Father, I pray you continue to protect over this church. I pray that you continue to grow us and being able to defend and build walls. And I pray, Father, that you be with each individual today as we talk about an area that can hold so much bondage in our life when you have called us to freedom. And that we get excited about that freedom, that we cling a hold of your promises, and that we let you move here. And we pray this in your son's precious and holy name. Amen. Amen. So like I said, we've been kind of going through this series of things when it comes to the life of Jesus and in the teachings of the Sermon of the Mouth, we're at a place where Jesus had talked, this is just going back a couple weeks, about him fulfilling the law, not changing the law, but fulfilling the law and what that means. And so again, you can go back and look at that on how that works as far as New Covenant living and Old Testament living, making sure that we're doing it his way instead of the way that we wish it would be to match up to maybe something that I wish or something our culture wishes. But after he does this, he goes through several examples of main areas in our lives to show how the fulfillment of the law happens to bring freedom instead of just a bunch of rules that we're supposed to follow, a bunch of rules that don't quite make sense and maybe feel a little bit disjointed. Last week, we talked about anger and about how anger becomes motorous and how the sin is actually from the anger and how we entertain anger, not necessarily just motor itself. Today, we're going to be doing a very similar type study, but we're going to do it from the area of lust. And so if you read with me, uh, we're going to start out in verse 27 and just read a couple of verses. We're going to jump around a little bit in some different examples and whatnot today, but I do want to definitely start here and, and babble a little bit off of uh, what he, he has to share. In verse 27, Jesus says, You've heard it said, you should not commit adultery, but I say to you that everyone who looks at a woman with lustful intent has already committed adultery with her, in his heart. So we have kind of the same thing as what we had last week. You've heard it said, referring back to the law, we, it's going back to, like we said with anger, that we tend to, as people who are born into sin, wonder how far can I go in a particular area before it's actually technically a sin. 
uh, you know, again, again, anger. Can I yell at somebody? Can I make fun of somebody? Can I do this? Can I hold this? Like, at what point does it become sin? Where Jesus is saying that the lust itself is the, the sin. So we enter into it pretty quickly, depending on how we entertain it. So he's coming back into this, trying to get us away from, um, trying to get as far as we can away with something before it's technically a sin. You know, if you're, uh, he, here he's talking about guys. So if you're a guy, uh, you know, is looking at porn as sin. If, they, if they've been paid for it and they submitted to it, no one's getting hurt, and I'm a mature adult, is that a sin? It, is it too far to go this far with my girlfriend or this far with my girlfriend? What if I can push it another step? Or is it this? All those questions are completely mute because it comes back to how we handle our lustfulness. Now, just to say at the beginning, lust is a lot more than just physical uh, attraction or a lot more than just physical intimacy. We can lust for anything in life. We can lust for power. We can lust for fame. We can lust for some kind of certain educational degree. We can lust to have the greenest yard in all the neighborhood. There's a lot of things that we can lust after. But since the context of this particular scripture is on the physical intimacy, that's where we're going to have our time because we can't cover all of those. But I do think there's principles within this of when we make something an idol, we lust after it, that goes into more than just the physical. We are also going to expand a little bit because Jesus here is talking about married men and lust impacts a lot more than married men. So we're going to expand a little bit too as we go. But before we do, I want to talk about what is lust. And to do that, I think we need to compare it to what Satan is, is twisting to make lust. So if you keep your finger there or put your bookmark there, I'm going to go over to 1 Corinthians 13 because what he's twisting is love. And I know you've probably heard this at a wedding or two or 6,000 over the last several years of your life, but this truly is the best description of love that we have outside of what God has done for us by giving his son. Um, and so chapter 13, verse 4, Paul defines it out this way. He says, love is patient and kind. Love does not envy or boast. It is not arrogant or rude. It does not insist on its own way. It is not irritable or resentful. It does not rejoice at wrongdoing, but rejoices with the truth. Love bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. Okay, before that, billion time. honestly, we probably should read that daily to keep ourselves on track, but this is what love is. When we're going to talk about lust today, when it comes to intimacy, we're not just talking about wanting to have an affair. We're talking about what is the opposite of love. Lust is the defi defining uh, definition I want to use with you is a strong, intense desire to get our needs filled with no or little regard for the other person. Okay? Strong, intense desire to get our needs filled with no regard for the other person. In other words, you can be lusting without being in bed. You are using someone else in the, some cases something else, but someone else to be able to fill your needs and that's what your intent is and it's not to be able to invest into the life of the other person. So for instance, any relationship that you have, you compare to this list, if it's lacking, you might be on the road of, of lust and something to look at. If Paul wrote this about lust, this might be what it, what it would say. And tell me if you have a relationship in your life or a virtual relationship in your life that matches up to this instead of what he said about love. Lust is in a hurry and it's self-seeking. Lust is jealous and it's boastful. 
Lust is arrogant and it's rude and it insists on its own way. It's irritable and resentful. Lust rejoices even though it's wrong and ignores the truth. Love, lust questions, it doesn't trust, it is friction, and it's short-lived. And there's a lot of people in this world that are not having premarital sex that are in relationships that match that. So lust is much bigger than just, I want to get rid of this person or get rid of that person. Does that make sense? Mm -hmm. But it definitely portrays itself into the physical. So, like I said, there is a, a lot of um, different ways we can look at this. I'm going to sit down because I'm lazy right now. But because, again, it's not just men. It's women, too. We all agree on that, right? Okay, good. That's going to save me 10 minutes. Um, it's not just single people. It's married people. We all agree on that. Uh, and it's not just adults, but it's teens. We all agree with that. And preteens. And we should not be fooling ourselves that it's not preteens and that this is not an issue in uh, junior high and even fourth and fifth grade in some, some cases. Um, I remember talking to a young man, and we're, again, we're talking about some mature things today, but I think we have a pretty mature audience. There's a couple of you guys that are questionable. <laughs> Find me a man. I'm preaching you down today. <laughs> but you see... No, uh, but some time ago, I remember a young man coming to me, he was a sixth grader, uh, and a young woman in his class, who was a friend of his, had offered him oral sex. And he was kind of keen on that idea, uh, but was wondering, is that the same thing as sex? Is that a sin? Uh, is that something I should avoid? Uh, yes, yes, yes. Uh, and that was 20 years ago. And I'll tell you, our culture is getting worse. Uh, I had another young man. He was, um, I think he was just out of high school, maybe a senior in high school. Church family. Grew up in church his entire life. Uh, was talking to me uh, shortly after he became a Christian. Came to know Jesus as leader forgiven in his life by acknowledging with his mouth he's the son of God. Believe his heart that he died and rose again for him. Was following him. And we were doing some mentorship. And um, he was completely shocked that premarital sex is a sin. Never heard that. Never heard that. He's like, but me and my girlfriend have sex like seven times a day. And I'm like, first off, you're young. Um, don't know really how to respond to that part of it. But it never even heard. But it was a struggle, struggle I dealt with. And really, how, like, I think if you talk to most adults, um, I remember, again, that was 20 years ago as well. Um, we, th we think the number one thing we've got to talk to kids about is sex. Because this issue they deal with, and in that case, we obviously miss the boy. Um, but then, on top of that, just as a side note, I think this is interesting. For teens, when they were asked the biggest issues that teens deal with, uh, sex was number seven, and suicide was number one, and that wasn't even on the radar of adults. So th there's definitely some disconnect, but it does impact all of us all the way around. So let's kind of call it out a little bit and just kind of talk about what that looks like. To do so, we have to use some stereotypes. I apologize for that. Uh, being up here and talking to several people at a time, you have to kind of talk in generalities. And either, if you have a question on how that applies to you because you don't fit into that stereotype, love to talk to you some more. You know, we can make a hangout, talk. Um, no, I'm not going to make that joke. But the, uh, oh, I trust the Holy Spirit to personalize it to you. If, if, but if you have any questions, let me know. But here's the stereotypes with it, within it. When you're talking about preteens and you're talking about uh, teenagers, guys... 
uh, and I don't, I don't know if this is the right word for it, but it's the best I, I've always had for it. We're kind of, in, well, there's something within us when it comes to intimacy that's about the hunt. There's something about the hunt of it. Um, and I don't know if that compares to shooting a deer because I've never shot a deer fishing or whatever. I, I've not done any of that kind of stuff. But there's something about that. I see somebody that I think is attractive and like, can I get her to go out with me? Like that, that's kind of the intrigue. Like what if she goes out with me or whatnot? And then if you get that step and they're, you know, charitable enough to go out with me, um, <laughs> then the next step is like, can I get her to hold my hand? Like, is there like this danger of the hunt? Like, what's the next step? And then once you hold hands, then can I get her to kiss me goodnight? Can I? And there's never really an end to that that ends up ending well. There's something about that hunt, and, and it kind of comes back into a, even with the best of guys, there's some kind of, will she submit to me on this level to a place where it fills my need to be um, respected or validated. And that's not going to match up with 1 Corinthians 13 in any way, shape, or form. It's definitely something we need to submit and to work on. It's part of our sinfulness. But it's there. For young ladies, when you're talking about stereotypes, a lot of it's kind of the same, except for it's about feeling needed. Amanda did an incredible testimony last night that fit right into this. I was so blessed by her testimony and what God has done with her saying yes to him. But the, the, there's a need to feel loved, and there's a need to feel intimacy. And a lot of people talk about, like, okay, but if you have good parents, you don't feel that way. I just want to tell you, even if you're the best parents and they know they love you, that's still there. It's like if I call you and say, hey, I haven't seen you at church the last couple of weeks, well, make sure you're okay. In all honesty, people will say, well, thanks, now I'm doing better, and I'm up and running. But it's something different if Kyle called and asked. The pastor's supposed to call and ask. My parents are supposed to love me. But there's something more that, that a lot of people strive for. And if it's that dealt with, then that intimacy oftentimes comes in from a physical standpoint. And you end up making decisions, sometimes because you want to, but sometimes it's because you really like that they like being around you, this, the, the, this person in your life. Um, and they want to take it further. And you don't really want to take it further, but you really don't want to lose them. You don't want that intimacy to go, go away. You don't want that care to go away. So now you start doing things that's against your own nature, against your own heart, to be able to continue to keep that intimacy. That's a lot of the dynamic a lot of times if we don't deal with it and submit it and, tend, and find a better way, a stronger way to have intimacy in our life. Um, and then, then when, when you get into that kind of relationship, it, again, it becomes what's in it for me, what can you give me, there's that interaction. And I think when we talk to our kids a lot of times we, about physical intimacy and premarital sex, we talk about STDs well, we talk about uh, unplanned pregnancies well, we don't talk about the intimacy issues and the hurt and the pain and the challenge that can come from that. We don't talk about the connections that come into play that will f can impact you for a lifetime. Every time you see that person, 30 years later, there's this impact. There's so much more to it when it comes to intimacy that can lead us into troubles with lust uh, in our younger years. Uh, okay, so single adults. Um, I will say this. It seems that single adults don't talk about the complexities and the angst and the drama of our relationships on social media as much as the teens and preteens. And if you are and you're over 18, stop it. Outside of that, everything's pretty much the same. 
Everything is, is the same. If we, don't, if we don't get it earlier, we'll continue it into our lives. Guys are still hunters. And ladies are still looking for intimacy. They're still looking for that care. It continues in as we go forward. Um, so it's a, a lot of a maturity issue. And I think the, the thing that gets more complex when we're talking about young, uh, young people is, and this tends to be on the lady side more than the men, but I have seen it both ways, is we then start getting tricked into this mindset that the answer to this uh, cycle that continues to put us in the pain uh, is marriage, and it's not. Marriage is not the answer. Um, Christ is the answer. Okay, I mean, if you don't get the Christ Foundation first, and we'll talk about that more as we go, uh, the rest of it's, if you, if you think it would be so much easier if I'm married and everything would be streamlined and we'll be in partnership with each other, uh, please, please, please find a close Christian married brother or sister and tell them that so they can get a good laugh. <laughs> it's, just, it's just not the, that way. The foundation is always Christ. It's not necessarily within marriage. Because here's what happens when you're talking about married adults. Um, when you get married for the guys, the hunt's over. And if you've never tamed yourself or learned how to submit that to the Lord, then now what do I do with all that? If it's not fixed to the Lord, if there's not victory over that in the Lord, then you have this issue hanging there that you've gotten, you, you killed the deer. I, th I, I, I equate it to a tattoo. I don't know how many people have, have gotten tattoos in here, but I think, well, don't brag, but the... Uh, <laughs> But I think anybody I talk to has gotten tattoos. Once you get one, it's a lot more tempting to get a second. You hunted, it's done, now what? What do I do with that angst that I have within me? That's going to be part of it when the honeymoon phase goes away. For the young lady, and again, I always advise when someone's getting married, work just as hard on your upcoming marriage than you do the wedding. So many people spend so much time, so much excitement on the wedding. Wedding's done, honeymoon's done, year and a half later, he is not sharing with you the intimacy that he did when you guys were getting ready to say yes and fly off to France. What do you do with that? If you don't deal with it up front, it's going to be an issue. It's going to be a challenge. Uh, there's a maturity within that relationship that stands on Christ. And if you don't have Christ as your foundation, I talk to people out there. This is why the divorce rate within the church is actually a little bit higher than the divorce rate in the world. So, so we have to look at these things. Uh, we have to deal with temptation. Guys, sometimes we don't have to hunt, so maybe a little pornography comes onto our plate. Ladies, we take and um, always put the point there on the guys. But I know for some of us, at least somebody in this room, you've got to have a UPS guy in those brown little shorts come into the office. <laughs> I know. It's not just guys. It's all of us. It all happens. So this is the problem. This is the problem of lust in our lives, and it really is self-focused, even if we don't want to claim it as such. Um, I will give you this before we get in a couple of examples. This is kind of a side note. There's a book called Love and Respect uh, for Married Couples, and the, the basic premise, I, I don't know if you want to buy it or not. I think I have it if you want to borrow it. Uh, to be honest, the book itself, yeah. But the main point of the book is this, that generally, again, we're staying with the stereotypes for a second, generally men in their marriages want to feel respected more than anything else. They want to feel loved, but they, the respect is big. And with the, with the wife, it's usually uh, they want to feel loved. 
that that's the most driving needs. And I'm sure there's exceptions to that, but when we're really honest, after 20 years of doing premarital counseling and marital counseling, I've not found the exception yet. Um, the, the respect where they submit to me is the hunt. The love, if it's not done well, is the intimacy. It's just ingrained within us, but we've got to be able to find Christ and be able to have a much better way of dealing with it than what the world teaches us. So here's what I want to do next. I want to jump uh, back in the Bible. We're going to go to Second Samuel. Second Samuel is going to be before Psalms, which is the halfway point of the Bible. Um, and I want to then go to Genesis. In Second Samuel chapter 11, we're going to have a, a hero of our faith who screwed up royally in this issue. Uh, and then we're going to talk about here the faith that did well. Um, maybe not with the results that we wish it would be if it was us in that case, but nonetheless, uh, I think there's some things that we can learn from this. The first one's David. David, the one after God's own heart, according to God himself. Um, David, who is, again, very well known through any kind of church history. Uh, the king of the Israelites, the second king, and, um, but not perfect. That's one of the things I think is encouraging about the scripture is that it doesn't just tell us how great they are all the time, but they tell us how much of a screw-up they are at times and how much we need God. And so we don't feel so as alone. But in this particular situation, it's a, it's a kind of more famous story of David and Bathsheba. Uh, I think we're going to find some, some points and some things to consider when it comes to love versus lust. So starting now, chapter 11, verse 1. Uh, in my Bible, it's 483. I don't know if that helps you any. Page 483, anyone? No? Okay. But it says this, In the spring of the year, the time when kings go out to battle, David sent Joab and his servants with him in all Israel, and they ravaged the Ammonites and besieged Rabbah. But uh, David remained at Jerusalem. It happened late one afternoon when David arose from his couch and was walking on the roof of the king's house that he saw from the roof a woman bathing, and the woman was very beautiful. And David sent and inquired about the woman. And one said, Is not this Bathsheba, the daughter of Elam, the wife of Uah the Hittite? So David sent messengers and took her, and she came to him, and he lay with her. Now she had been purifying herself for her uncleansiness. Then she returned to her house, and the woman conceived, and she sent and told David, I am pregnant. Okay, a few things that we can see in David's story that's really important to us if we want to combat lust. First and foremost, don't be where you're not supposed to be. It, 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 there's never a detail in the scripture that doesn't have a point. And so for it to say, for a whole paragraph, it's spring of the year, every other king's out on the battlefield, but David said, eh, I think I'll just stay home. I'm just going to recline on the couch. If he was doing what he was supposed to be doing, he wouldn't have been there in the first place. So no laptops on when everybody else in the house is asleep. Right? No, no taking and wa watching. Uh, is Cinemax still around? I think Cinemax is gone. If you got Cinemax, get rid of Cinemax. Okay? No 2 o'clock in the morning Cinemax. But there's plenty of streaming opportunities. But I mean, whatever is the temptation for you, just don't be there. Be at work. Usually when we screw up, it's because we're frustrated and we're tired and I need something just for me. That's usually is what, be, nobody understands me but this person. Right? That's usually what's good. Don't be where you're not supposed to be. So that's where David was, and he's on his couch, and he walks out on the roof, and he sees Bathsheba, baby, on her roof. She might want to get something more indoor. And he sees that she's very beautiful. Now, has he sinned here? 
If you're walking through the mall and you see a, a beautiful young lady, you see a hot guy or whatnot, I don't think it's a sin yet. If you want to ask that question, how far can I go? I think if he looked at it and he goes, whoa, didn't expect to see that out there. She's a good-looking woman, but I think I need to go back inside. It wouldn't have been an issue. It wouldn't have been an issue. The problem is that Jesus says he's entertaining the lust. The anger has become murderous. The lust has become adultery. So the same thing, he entertains it, and he continues to plot off of it. He continues to focus onto it to make a disastrous act. Now, this, whenever I'm talking about David and Bathsheba, I always run a little bit of a risk of somebody getting mad at me. Uh, because most of the time when we talk about David and Bathsheba, we talk about the adultery that, the, that he had. I do not see this as adultery. I see this as sexual assault. And that pushes some people's... It amazes me because later he murders her husband. No one cares if you say that. But this is a sexual assault. He's the king. He's got the power. I want that. Go get me that. They go get her. They bring her back. There's never a, a mention about some kind of dinner that they went to a movie together or that he wooed her with flowers. That she, come, she comes over and he has sex with her and says, send, send her home. I'm done. To me, that's sexual assault. And so that lust has taken into a standpoint of adulterous sexual assault sin. Now, here's one thing I, I, I want to throw out to you, because I learned this a long time ago, and, and you might have to think about it a little bit. You can ask me about it later. All of us are one bad decision from three years of pain at any given time. All of us are one bad decision from three years of pain at any given time. Oh, three years of awesomeness, but... Nonetheless, and the decision he made led to repercussions. She was pregnant. He had to cover it up with another sin. He brought her husband home, sleep with her, take some time off. You've been fighting out in the world. I can't sleep with my wife and my brothers are out there fighting. Sounds like maybe he should have been king instead of David in this moment. He's out where he's supposed to be. So he sleeps on the front porch, not because he's in trouble, but because he can't dishonor his brothers like that. You can't take and say that they slept together and that it's actually his kid and cover it up if he won't go inside the house. So he sends him back to war and says, put him on the front line and then draw back and just let him kill him. And then I can take her in and then we can cover it up and no one will ever know. God doesn't let that stuff stand. Can't, then came the conviction. Then came the reality. Then came the destruction. Then came the tears and the fasting, trying to save his baby's life. And then came the death of the baby. And we might say, well, that sounds harsh. Why did the baby die? I don't understand all the complexities of God, but I do know this. That baby wouldn't have died if it wasn't conceived with a rape anyways. We're all one bad decision away from three years of pain. And that's where lust took David. Now, let me share another one with you. Genesis 39. We will talk to jo about Joseph. The best part about David's story is that he did redeem himself and God called him the one after my own heart after that situation because of conviction leads to forgiveness and forgiveness leads to redemption. So I don't want to judge him just by one situation or else all of us would be in horrible shape. Genesis 39. Joseph, again, another famous name of our history faith, but I think the story sets him up pretty well. When we start out in verse 1, it says this. Now, Joseph had been brought down to Egypt, uh, and Potiphar, an officer of Pharaoh, the captain of the guard, an Egyptian, had brought, bought him from the Ishmaelites, who had brought him down from there. This is after Joseph was sold into slavery by his brothers. The Lord was with Joseph. That's an awesome, awesome truth. 
The Lord was with Joseph, and he became a successful man, and he was in the house of his Egyptian master. His master saw that the Lord was with him, and that the Lord caused all that he did to succeed in his hands. So Joseph found favor in his sight, and attended him, and he made him an overseer of his house, and put him in charge of all that he had. Jump down to about halfway through verse 6. Now Joseph was handsome in form and appearance. And after a time, his master's wife cast her eyes on Joseph and said, Lie with me. But he refused and said to his master's wife, Behold, because of me, my master has no concern about anything in the house, and he has put everything that he has in my charge. He is not greater in this house than I am, nor has he kept back anything from me except for you, because you are his wife. How then could I do this great wickedness and sin against God? And as she spoke to Joseph day after day, he would not listen to her to lie down beside her to be with her. But one day, when he went into the house to do his work, and none of the men of the house were there in the house, she caught him by his garment, saying, Lie with me. But he left his garment in his hand and fled and got out of the house. And as soon as she saw that he had left his garment in her hand and had fled out of the house, she called to the men of her household and said to them, See, he has brought among us a Hebrew to laugh at us. He came in to lie with me, and I cried out with a loud voice. And as soon as he heard that I lifted up my voice and cried out, he left his garment beside me and fled and got to get out of the house. Then she laid up the garment by her until his master came home, and she told him the same story, saying, The Hebrew servant whom you have brought among us came in to laugh at me, but as soon as I lifted up my voice, I cried. He left his garment beside me and fled out of the house. Okay, so Joseph's in a very similar situation where he can entertain lust or he can do something counterproductive within it, uh, or just counter to it. The thing that we see most in Joseph's story, besides his integrity of knowing what's right and what's wrong with God and going to stick to it, that, 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 that's his plan, he bolts from temptation, which we're going to talk more about here in a second. That, that he, he didn't lean into it. When David should have done this, that's what Joseph did. It's like, I just got to get out of here. I, as I get older and I read this story more and more, I realize he didn't bolt when he should have. And i just throw that out for your, your, your thought process. When you day after day after day at this is going, even when other servants are in the house, when you come into the house and all the servants have been sent away, that's probably the best time to bolt. But nonetheless, he bolted before the lust could take its temptation and move forward and go into the situation. Now, here's the thing. This is what we should do, but the outcome is pretty much just as painful as what David went through. He made a decision that was right and got put in prison for it. He did what was right and was forgotten. He did what was right and only God was still with him as he interpreted dreams in the prison and told another prisoner, you're going to be reinstated, you're going to be the king's right-hand man, you're going to get everything back. Just the only thing I ask is when you get by the king, remember me and, and tell him about me. And the guy goes, you got it, baby. And he got out of there and he got by by king and completely forgot about Joseph for several years until dreams came up in a conversation. He's like, oh, yeah. So Joseph, just because you're doing integrity doesn't mean it's going to be the easy thing. The difference is love is patient. Love is kind. That we do it on God's timetable instead of our own. He still ended up being the second most powerful man in all of Egypt. Even though he wasn't an Egyptian, he still was able to save his family. He still be able to save the nation. But things don't always go the way that we plan but we definitely are worth it to hold on to integrity and bolt from temptation. Does that make sense? Okay. So with that, we'll go back to Matthew 5, 29. 
Oh, turning pages, the less of you on you version. Okay. As he continues, with that understanding of lust, I want to reread the first two verses and then start moving into the second two. You've heard it that it was said, you should not commit adultery. But I say to you that everyone who looks at a woman with lustful intent has already committed adultery with her in his heart. If your right eye causes you to sin, tear it out, throw it away. For it is better that you lose one of your members than you lose the whole body be thrown into, into hell. And if your right hand causes you to sin, cut it off and throw it away. For it is better that you lose one of your members than that of your whole body go into hell. Now, thankfully Jesus wasn't talking literally here. And we know that because he didn't immediately set up a booth that looks like Lucy's booth in the Peanuts cartoon where it says the doctor's in for five cents. And has people come up in a line and just starts cutting, out, cutting off hands and gouging out eyes because everybody listening to this, we all struggle with lust. We're all on the same, we're all on the same page. It just looks differently depending on who we are. This is what's called hyperbole. Hyperbole is to say extreme things to show you just how extremely important it is. So if Jesus is saying it's worth gouging out your eye or cutting off your hand, it's worth doing whatever it takes to get victory over lust. It's worth whatever it takes to mature yourself past the hunt and pull an intimacy from temporary standpoints. That to, to take and move forward is unbelievably important. So with this, like last week, I think we had, what, the whole nine points. Uh, I'm not going to do nine points today. That was too much. I have eight. Um, that... Some, sometimes they brought up as being somewhat repetitive, but I, I, for different reasons, I want to be able to go through these. And I want to share them with you for some thoughts, if this is an area that, that uh, you deal with, which uh, you probably do. Okay, so we're going to get the help of Chris, and we're going to put these up one at a time for our note takers. The first one we're going to start out with is this. Identify what God wants in your life, and then want it yourself. Identify what God wants in your life, and then adopt that as your own. Too, too much stress, too much hassle, too much drama, too much Facebook comes from we know what God wants and somehow we put in some kind of struggle between what I want and what he wants. If you want the easy flow, if you want love, if you want God's will for yourself, find out what he wants and then just make it what you want. Because you know what? God's going to get what he wants. There's no reason to worry about it from there. Okay, number two. I'm going to rifle through these. Uh, have respect for yourself and for others. Have respect for yourself and others. Do yourself a favor and spend some time on any relationship that you are in or any relationship that you have been, uh, find yourself in a cycle of. Maybe you're not in a relationship right now, but you see a trend in your past that keeps leading you to the same place. Um, or any relationship that you're, you're hoping to have. And not, again, not just from the intimacy standpoint. And take and ask yourself, what is the motivation behind that relationship? And is your motivation to pull into the life of somebody else? Like we talk about 100% love, 100% truth. True relationships, all true relationships, especially in marriage, but all true relationships are 100% on both sides. It's not 50-50. It's not 75-80. It's not I do this, this, and this for her, and she doesn't do this, this, this and for me. Focus on your 100% and you have enough on your hands. You have enough on your hands. Have respect for yourself and for others. Number three, we're going back to Joseph here. Bolt from temptation. Bolt from temptation. I should have capitalized every letter in the word bolt. Bolt from temptation. Uh, a couple side notes within that. One way to get out of temptation, hang with like-minded people. Glenn and I were having a really good conversation about this the other day. We are not supposed to bubble ourselves just for Christians. Or else the world would never get reached by the church. 
We have friends of all kinds and all but the people that are most intimate with us, the people that have influence over us, should be equally yoked Christians that are encouraging us. And if you're having a problem with lust and you're hanging out with other ladies or other buddies or whatnot, they're constantly talking about this actress in this movie or this poem or this kind of thing, you're a fool. You're a fool, both from that temptation. Um, you can talk about other issues with them to lead them to the Lord. Don't let them lead you down. Another side note within that is get away from the things that bring the temptation. Get away the things that bring the temptation. Get away from the laptop. Get away from texting, whatever person you're texting that your spouse doesn't know about. Um, and the ex-girlfriend or ex-boyfriend that you, you've been talking about. If you find that you need to hide your phone from your spouse, something's jacked up. Something's just wrong. I remember a couple was going through that, and the husband went home and said, Pastor Tom said that I, I can look at your phone anytime I want to. I said, I, no, I didn't say that. I said, if you're hiding phones from each other, then there's a problem. There's a problem. I, Jenny knows my passwords. I know her passwords. Um, not, not an issue. There's, there shouldn't be anything like that. So stop texting that person. Um, stop watching shows if you find yourself in this pattern. Uh, one pattern that I hear from men quite a bit is you watch a show, you see this actress, she's hot in the show. I wonder if she's ever been naked in a movie before. I get out Google, I look up with her name and the word naked. Then I find a couple, couple shots, but it's not quite enough. Next thing you know, you're looking at porn, and about five minutes later, you're feeling guilty. and you're, just, It's a pattern, so just stop. Put whatever safety things you have to put into place with that. Uh, get those things out of your life. Um, put safeguards into place, uh, the accountability in place. Uh, if you need uh, porn software, put porn software on there. But that's for kids. Act like a child. Treat yourself like a child, man. If you've got to have it, put it. Put it there. It's not, not, nothing embarrassing about that in any way, shape, or form. Um, one of the things that I do here, and it's changed a little bit over the years, but I generally am not alone with women in this church. Um, not because I think I'm going to do anything, but there's no reason for that appearance. Um, and I've had good friends that I believe were taken down by false allegations. Um, now, that has changed a little bit with these cameras that, that are in the house. That does give us a little bit more uh, freedom because of the, the accountability that comes with it. Here's a funny story. It has nothing to do with the sermon. Uh, <laughs> If uh, the Russells don't mind me tell, tell this, because we still think it's funny. The, uh, no, it doesn't have to do with them. It has to do with the, one of the youngins. Uh, and, and, uh, but anyways, yesterday before the worship thing, I, I keep getting notifications from these cameras. I've got to figure out how to do that. I get this notification, and uh, the little ones know that they're not allowed to run around upstairs uh, when nobody's with them. There's things they can get hurt on up there. Um, and I get a notification, and a couple kids are running around upstairs, and they run right back downstairs. So when I get here, I'm talking to kids. I was like, hey, you guys remember, we're not allowed upstairs, right? And they're like, oh, yeah, yeah, we never go upstairs. So <laughs> you guys remember there's cameras in this church. They got a little quieter. <laughs> and Toby, Toby says, uh, he goes, well, who was upstairs? <laughs> and I said, well, I'm not going to say what two people were upstairs. And Toby goes, it was me and Noah. <laughs> he knew he was busted. Anyways, but, but think about, about what your temptations are. Put safeguards in place. Um, 
including the accountability. And then the last one is drop what you need to out of your life. Just drop what you need to out of your life, uh, especially if it's a young woman or young man. Uh, I know a, a family, a um, young woman made a mistake with a, uh, another young man. Uh, it, was it was kissing, and um, then she told her husband about it later, and the husband said um, that he wanted to move past that and work on their marriage, but that guy's out of her life. He's gone. She's like, but we've been friends since kids. No, he's gone. Any temptation you got, and you, that might sound harsh, but it's a lot less painful than gouging out your eye. It's a lot less than cutting, cutting out your hand. Um, so take and, take and do the big moves. Number four, counter our culture. Chris, if you put that up there for me. Counter our culture. Uh, our culture is getting worse out there, and we should look more and more different as it gets more and more insane. Um, for, for instance, this is just kind of a crazy thing. You know I'm not a big, like, you're not allowed to dance, or you're not allowed to watch PG-13 movies, and all that kind of stuff. Um, use the summit, use wisdom, it's Romans 14. But I wonder sometimes, if I lived in Sodom and Gomorrah, what would their TV shows be like? <laughs> just as a fun little experiment, what would Sodom and Gomorrah TV I don't think we're that far off. I really don't think we're that far And we get desensitized to it. I remember little Emily walking through a room and her joke's on TV and I'm like, ha, 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 and then she repeats the joke and I'm like, no, 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 right? But we have to be counter our culture and this is for men as well as women. There, there was one time, boy, I, I, I got a, a small group of people really mad at me uh, one time because we were talking about this and I was saying again, men, men have a struggle but the stats tell us, ladies, it's not much easier on you at all and um, you know, I can't say to men, make sure you're not watching a bunch of movies, you know, that are, are sexualized and, and uh, of, of the world and not talk to you guys about Magic Mike. <laughs> you know what I mean? Or, or being excited about coming back. I got some people mad at me, mad at me. I don't know if that reveals my heart. Um, okay, number five. And again, that was years and years and years ago, so they're in very different places, and I probably am too. So five, in a relationship, love well. Love well. Stop trying to get your needs met. Uh, choose to love. Uh, what I mean by that is, boy, this would not make a good Valentine's card. Um, I generally think chemistry is crap. Uh, I think commitment is what makes love. Um, I, chemistry has its place. I love you, honey. You complete me. But she's here because she committed and I've committed as well. That's what, what keeps things moving forward. Um, I remember, and again, I, I promise I'll, I'll start speeding up, but uh, I was engaged when I was a very, very young man. And it was one of these situations because we were together for like a year and a half, and I think I was 19, and what's next? You know, here's what's that next thing on that, that thing. So I asked her to marry me, and she said yes. And uh, I think, sadly, it was like four months for the wedding, and I realized I love her, but uh, I really don't want to spend the rest of my life with her. And uh, thankfully, I got that before we said I do. Uh, and we had a tough conversation. But I just want to let you know, have that conversation with the kids. Because there's a lot of love out there that's really not committed. That's really not even love. But we feel it. I love him. I love her. Quit floating with disaster. Number six. Uh, I remember a Coffee with Jesus cartoon I shared out one time. I don't know if you've seen those. They're a little bit older now. But it's usually like Jesus having coffee with somebody. And they're having kind of usually a pretty tense uh, conversation. And... The guy having uh, coffee with Jesus says, Jesus, why do I still struggle with lust? And Jesus said, because you secretly like it and you keep entertaining it. Quit floating with disaster. 
Number seven, have accountability. Friends, Christians, uh, you want to get real radical? And I, I do think that this might be different depending on the relationship and depending on where you guys are at with Christ. Uh, but I believe in having your spouse being an accountability partner as well. Um, not all relationships can do that at this point. They need to grow towards it, and I understand that. Uh, if you need a facilitator in that conversation, somebody who doesn't have the motion, I'm happy to meet with you guys. Uh, there's counseling, and there's also online resources that can help you when it comes to some um, lustful uh, addictions. And then number eight, draw on to God. Draw on to God. Uh, that almost sounds cliche, but the reality is this. We need to just stop being Christian and need him. Need him. This is a huge issue that takes a huge God. We need him. And if we don't see it that way, we're missing it all together. So it's a big issue. It takes a big God. Okay. Give me a sec. Listen, I, I think I can talk into this for two reasons. One, I've been a huge failure at it and because I've had a lot of success through Jesus Christ with it. There are topics that we talk about that um, are biblical that I've not dealt with. So I don't try to pretend like I can imagine how somebody feels when they're going through that. And there's other things that I'm 100% on board with. And then there's some weeks that I'm filling off, but I do, do the sermon and the Holy Spirit does this part. This I think I can talk about because I understand both sides. I have been fully there. We used to joke um, with my mom. Uh, I always told her I was the best kid out of the three. That's not the joke. We're not there yet. Simmer down. Okay. And I would say I'm definitely the best of the three kids because outside of theft and woman, I was perfect. Oh, I miss mom's smacks. Tommy! I know what it's like to be a 13-year-old stealing porno mags out of your neighbor's garage and they don't know it. Just watch it, look at it with your buddy, and you don't even understand what you're looking at. And I understand where that path leads. And I understand how we can be not just one bad decision from three years of struggle, but of three decades of struggle, of learning and accepting God's freedom into addiction. I know what it's like to go through all of my high school years, all my years up to graduation without hardly doing anything with the girl because I was saving it for marriage and then blow it. To know that I fully love this person and she fully loves me and we're going to be together forever and you mess up and then a month later she feels guilty about what you did and so she dumps you and you are completely lost and in a dark space. I know what it's like to not realize that purity is not just a one-time thing, but that you can go back and find redemption through Christ and so living years of, well, I already messed up, it doesn't matter now, leading to more and more mistakes. I know what all that feels like. I know what it feels like to talk to my wife before we get married about previous partners and for her to say that she saved herself from marriage and I did not. I know that shame. I know that shame. I know what it's like to run into somebody from years and years ago and Satan reminds you of your past and you have to embrace back into that future thing. 
that God's redeemed you. I know it's like to sit with my 17-year-old son because of the struggles he's going through and say, I don't want to just talk to you about the STDs and talk to you about the unplanned pregnancies. I want to talk to you about the real emotional hurt that comes with these kinds of relationships when you step out of God's will. And I shared once before, and it was the most uncomfortable time of my son's life as I sat there and showed him picture after picture of people that I messed up with and shared with them the story of the pain that I caused them or the pain that they caused me or the pains that we caused each other by being outside of God's will. I know what it's like to not have a picture but just have a little black piece of paper with the next on it and say, son, I don't know what this girl's last name is and I've never had a picture of her. I know what it's like to go through that. I know what it's like to start messing up again and to meet the woman that God had for me the entire time. And when we started the date, she said, I don't even want to French kiss you. I don't want to make out with you at all. In our relationship, I want to keep it pure to the level we're getting to know each other because I think there's something special here. And I don't want to waste time making out with you. And that catching my attention and realizing it was something special. I know what redemption looks like. I know what freedom looks like. I know where God has taken me over the last 20, 25 years when it comes to these areas. And I know the freedom that we can have. So yes, I feel like we can talk about these things. I don't care what you've done, where it's led. My heart breaks for some of us who have stories that were outside of our control in this area. Well, maybe we were Bathsheba. And we dealt with sexual assault. Or we dealt with an abusive relationship. My heart goes out to those that are in marriages that are lustful, not because of physical, but because of the way we speak to each other, the things we expect from one another. This is a huge issue, and we need a big God. The fulfillment of the law is beautiful. The promises are true. The only thing that stops us is whether or not we lean into them or not. If you were blessed by today's teaching, we hope you return for our next podcast. Or, better yet, stop by the Shepherd's Fellowship any Sunday morning to join us live. You can learn more about the church by calling 740-382-3500 or check us out online by going to tsflife.com. That's tsflife.com. You can also support the ministry of TSF Life by donating at our church website or sending support to the Shepherd's Fellowship, 1647 Marion, Marysville Road, Marion, Ohio, 43302. Thank you for spending your time with us today, and we look forward to seeing you soon. Be blessed.